0: But to engage in a in a free form conversation around a situation actually for me brings everything into stunning 3D technicolor. And, and then and then the, you know, the, the speed of the water or what's on the ground or the weather or the or the darkness and the light or the size of your opponent or the sharpness of your weapon, all of that suddenly becomes important because you're no longer looking for what gives you a plus two or a plus four you're not really quite sure as in perilous situations I suppose none of us would be right chase gonna bring me back Give me a plus one to attack Oh oh
1: oh I want to come back to the dice Whoa, oh oh, oh
0: i think i need some good advice i need a roleplay rescue oh yeah i need a roleplay
1: rescue oh yeah oh yeah hello rescuers my name is che webster and you're listening to roleplay rescue the podcast about rediscovering our passion for tabletop role-playing games This episode is the penultimate one for the season, another of the extended conversations I've shared with gaming friends over recent weeks. It was largely unplanned and is really, well, just that, hopping online to talk and discuss some key ideas with my guest. We did have a few moments of spotty online connectivity, so please forgive the vagaries of British internet technology. This one really is a chat about FKR, free role roleplaying with someone I'm only beginning to get to know but who has also been so generous with their time that I feel deeply appreciative of and in debt to them. Big thanks up front to Paul Jennings, my guest and I hope you'll find the conversation an illuminating one. I think he might just about have persuaded me that I don't need my GURPS books after all. I'm sure that'll make him chuckle. Oh, and if you want some good FKR links or to find out more, like to find the Discord, there are links Paul shared in the show notes. This is Season 12, Episode 25, Talking FKR with Paul Jennings. Paul Jennings describes himself as a gardener who writes, and has been a historian, a builder, and a vegetable gardener. Uh, he's the author of Paleolithic Voyages, a primeval 2d6 game from the FKR community of role players, which presents one of the most compelling prehistoric worlds I've read in about 40 odd pages. Hailing from Wales, Paul is a truly lovely chap who's even been gracious enough to take part in some games with me and come and talk today. So welcome to the show and thanks for joining us, Paul.
0: Hello. Thanks for having me, Shay. Looking forward to chat.
1: You're well most welcome. Um, so yeah, let's, let's start with the the backstory, really. Um, you know, how did you get into role playing games? Take us through that, Paul.
0: I I war gamed as a very young boy, and um, friend of mine went. He was a year older than me. Went off to secondary school, and then one Saturday came around to play and said he played this game called Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Didn't have the didn't have the rule book. Uh, we had some squared paper, we had a couple of six sided dice and a pencil, and he laid yeah. out a dungeon and we played, um, and that was how I first encountered it and and fell in love with it. I suppose I remember the afternoon very vividly, and I would have been, I would have been ten, so that's yeah. forty four years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't know how that happens. We sound of a similar age. That's
1: that's great. So, what do you actually enjoy about these role playing games, and what 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 gets you lit
0: up? I I think it's always been a, a question of. Cooperative play mm-hmm. and and emergent story for me. I might not have used that used those phrases when I was a kid, <laughs> but I think it's always been getting away from from competitive games. I always enjoyed Rob, even when we were kids, and we played war games and we played board games and we filled in with games of risk. I always enjoyed the role playing more as a cooperative, as a as a as a proper team game where no where there were no losers, uh, no winners.
1: So take us a little through. So you started with D and
0: D. Actually, after that, after that game with with my my good friend Justin, um, I had a, a brief taste of Traveller with some of his mates mm-hmm. who he was at secondary school with, and then I encountered a game by SPI called Dragon Quest.
1: Uh-huh. And
0: I and I played Dragon Quest, which was so far ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this today. It had a it had a skill system. It's a very sophisticated magic system character generation was um point-based i believe someone will correct me i've got it in front of me here somewhere um and i played dragon quest for a few years at school uh, ran games at school with my mates and at the weekends hmm. and only later on i guess because more people were playing dnd came back to play DD and ADD and tunnels and trolls which was a game that was quite popular at my second secondary school yeah
1: and then I understand you got into things like Burning Wheel and and other such games later on.
0: Yeah, a long time later. So I, I, I think like most of us, there was a hiatus in my twenties. I didn't play so many games, mm-hmm. and then I came back to I came back to playing Gerps, which is the system you know your your go to, and and running lots of Gerps Traveller, and then uh, eventually when 3.5 was giving way to fourth edition in the D world the D sphere fell into pathfinder first edition mm-hmm. and i i think it was that because around about that time there were lots of people on youtube uh talking about role playing and running yeah. and running live stream games yeah. and that was when i encountered a whole world of stuff i hadn't really um had any any awareness of because i didn't read the the the, the industry mags or anything like that so then i came into contact with torchbearer and burning wheel um and a whole and and i suppose a whole lot of other games but for a long time burning wheel and torchbearer were you know the the stellar games for me in terms of design and rules Mm. which is which is which is quite interesting given how far i've come away from rules heavy systems Mm. um yeah, but and now and and now I mean, you know what it's like. I think your I think your collection of games probably dwarfs mine, but I've got a lot of game. Um, yeah. So I, uh, you know, in recent years I've played Blades in the Dark, um, a fair amount of Blades in the Dark, and run long campaigns of um, a lovely little game called White Hack, written mm-hmm. by the Swedish designer uh, Christian Maestam. Yeah. Which, is, which is a brilliant distillation of, for me, a brilliant distillation of D D, mm-hmm. with some very modern design aspects um, and kind of folded into it as well. Yeah, I've got a copy of it the outside there. <laughs> <laughs> uh Yeah, that's, that's my most my most recent long running campaign, other than the Paleolithic Voyages game, mm. Um which I, you know, when Paleolithic Voyages was written, it was as a an ongoing campaign that mm. was a was a long running white hack online white hack game mm-hmm. um with friends in with friends in western australia so um oh wow there's some time zone stuff <laughs> yeah yeah so always playing early in the morning or midday yeah okay um so i mean i
1: i love asking the, the kind of questions a little bit They come from the background um and one of them i like is like what's your worst moment in in role-playing hobby
0: uh where was the dark times with some very good friends of mine in the town i, I no, absolutely no hesitation you'll notice right uh, mm-hmm. apart from spilling apart from spilling a flask of hot chocolate on my on my dragon quest uh box set that was in my school bag when I was about twelve which which yeah which was horrifying um <laughs> i used to <laughs> uh, i used to i used to have the good fortune to get together with with friends of mine who I'd known when we were kids for gaming weekends back in Aylesbury. And I set up. And it was always a really good time, right? Yeah. Um, but inevitably, as one gets older, and weekends get a bit more precious, and people get stressed, and they're tired on Friday nights, and I was running a game of um, Call of and I can't remember the I can't remember the name of the scenario. Um, and for whatever reason, on that evening, I became the worst game master. I, hopefully, this is the worst I've ever been. I became the worst <laughs> game master in the world. And I ended up really upsetting uh, uh, a friend of mine who uh, whose friendship I value enormously. And I, every time I see him now, and we chat online occasionally, I feel like saying, "Dave, you remember that weekend? I'm really sorry. You know, I'm really, mm. really sorry. I, I I stressed them all out, and uh, and uh, I was I was like patronising. I was overbearing. I was angry, and it was the weekend, and no one needed it. Mm. And uh, yeah, made a, I made a a, a real ass of myself, and that was my worst that was my worst time in role-playing and hopefully change, hopefully the change will change the way I am and the way I, the way I am in life and the way I approach running games.
1: Yeah. I think some of the times these moments, are the things that we remember them and they sort of help define because we define against those moments. We learn from those, don't we? And we hopefully, we ref, hopefully we reflect on that and we think, you know, yeah, I ain't going back there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a cool thing. Uh, how do you keep yourself sort of motivated to play? Um, you know, because as we get older, I, I don't know about you, but I find it, you know, it's very difficult to sort of get time, make make it happen, and, and keep kind of motivated.
0: Yeah, I normally, I know, I'm, I've, I've, been very lucky in as much as I normally have at least a few people in my life who I really enjoy playing with and who keep me motivated. Um, I, I mentioned a couple of, I mentioned to you in in, in a uh, on the Discord the other the other day, a couple of friends I made online in in recent years who really keep me motivated really keep me on my toes mm. um so that helps enormously and the, and the other thing is I'm a, I'm a bit of an obsessive um so i'm a i'm a, a proper um games obsessive um yeah, yeah. and relate <laughs> bit of a prob- bit of a problem in, in one respect but um it does keep it does keep me thinking about it and whenever i get to that point where I think I, I, you know, what I've got to drop some of these games. I've had enough of this. I don't, mm-hmm. don't even know why I do this anymore. It takes a little while of only weeks, probably, for me to think. Oh, I really, I could really do with a game. You know, I really want to get back into a game and, and play with some people. Play for me. Uh, honestly, I think we're probably only here for two things, really. I think we're probably here for storytelling, and we're probably here for play. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that's it you know that's what we excel at that's what we do as a species and and um and those are the things that that, that give meaning to my life anyway. Mm. Yeah I've, I that's interesting that you're like, talking about it. I for me
1: role playing games are, are deeply meaningful you know and uh, and of course when then when they're not treated in that way um that's when I find it i got quite frustrated <laughs> actually but yes yes
0: people have likened it to um to a, a you know to a communion practice to to a religious ceremony i do you've come across this idea That's, but yeah. i i buy into that to a certain extent this is this is a community building or, yeah. or a circle building ritual that we're, that we're yeah. involved in and and if and if it's if it's funny it should be appropriately funny in the moment not mm-hmm. um not something to be to, to be made fun of no no absolutely yeah uh
1: yeah role playing as ritual is a there's an old episode somewhere <clears throat> in my back catalog about that but anyway. i shall
0: search it out i shall search it
1: out <laughs> so look um i want to talk to you because over the last few months um i've had actually quite a few people point me towards uh fkr which is that what free kriegspiel revolution or something or um, revival yeah. revival renaissance or whatever yeah. um so yeah, FKR, we'll, we'll use that. Hashtag FKR is on the front of your of your game. So, you know, that's a nice kind of tag to use. Um, and I know a few, quite I don't know, a couple of months ago now, I suppose I went and like, I, I went and explored that a little bit more for myself um, and found, you know, a little bit more information about it, which is fine. So, you know, I've blogged about it and and I know we've had a little conversation. station, but um, yeah, I'm kind of constantly curious because this keeps coming up. People, you know, what I'm talking about, um, with other world emerged games and uh, in character as character, and all of those kinds of things that are kind of burbling around at the moment. Um, people keep saying, hey, it sounds like a lot currently, FKR guys. So, all i I mean, I'm apparently in that ballpark. Uh, so wh- why would people say that? Do you think well, just help me out here? Help me understand.
0: <laughs> I've got to tell you, Shay, that I found you, um, on a list right. that someone had written. Um, of fkr influences all right so (laughs) (laughs) so you're a lot you're in a lot deeper than you think wow (laughs) i thought i would better go and check this guy out um why why would people say that i think because you're interested in um simply simply expressed i think because you put setting uh ahead of system in your list of priorities because you're interested in um what you call other world immersion um you know, you don't want the rules to get in the way. I think, um, I think you've experimented with some pretty classic FKR stuff, where you um, you keep the character sheets, mm-hmm. you keep the system, maybe even you roll the dice behind the screen. Everything that happens on the other side of the screen is in character. Yep, um, I've done all those. So yeah, so all of those things are very strongly associated with one of the many currents in in the FKR because uh, okay. there's a there's a you know it's a it's a it's a broad it's a broad church it's a wide spectrum of practice in the FKR um so and, and the other thing and the other thing is the the rules set that you choose to use whether and a lot of people say oh FKR that's rules light mm. that's certainly one associate one thing that's associated with FKR play but a lot of people use what we consider much much heavier rule systems and still play fKr play it's yeah. just that they're using those rule systems flexibly they're emphasizing rulings um you know and, and and they're emphasizing setting within within those within those systems so some systems um some systems it might be quite difficult to wrangle fKr style play into um once a system would be burning wheel I, I think. Um, right. But but most other systems that that, that one considers could be FKR to a certain extent. Mm. Um, certainly, okay. GURPS. Certainly, GURPS. Yeah.
1: Okay, so that, I mean, I know. I mean, I know a little bit about what FKR stands for. Um, but it would be really good, I think, for listeners for you to maybe summarise that. So we're talking about Free Creche Bill. Um, yeah. And um, I mean, that has huge associations for me as an ex-war gamer as well as a role player. Yes. So um, you know. I, I do know where that's coming from, but I think it'd be really useful to hear you talk about, like, just briefly about what that is. Uh, how's that right. different? You know.
0: Okay, so so you know the story about the Prussian High Command, which is which is current on the internet about yeah. how how their their war games, their Kriegspiel, reached a point of such rules complexity mm. that no one wanted to umpire the games, uh, <laughs> that they just ground to a halt. And I think in the history of games and the history of, of war and role playing in particular, um, this is, this is a cyclical thing. Yeah. The, the, the response to heavier and crunchier rule systems being the development of lighter and less crunchy rule system. Um, at the heart of that, there's a, I, I think there's an appreciation that if you get a, a referee or an umpire, you know, in a war game or, um, or a games master or whatever, um, who is experienced and um and and thoughtful then they can actually come up with rulings which obviate the need to have huge rule sets mm-hmm. um and, and there are lots of things that come out of that including uh, the whole kind of well you know don't buy another game make a game um you know don't don't stop. Stop consuming things that are published and start creating your own stuff. That's one of the things that comes out of it. There's lots of facets, lots of facets to free-creek spiel, which I hadn't appreciated when I first, you know, when I first came into contact with it. Mm. But, but I think for me, it was that simple realization that what I did when I first fell in love with role-playing games. Um, Well, to be honest, when I was 11 or 12, probably not even understanding or even reading most of the rules in the books that I got. Mm -hmm. What I'd done when I first uh, fell in love with role playing games was was actually something beautiful and empowering and fun. um, And all of the intervening years of trying to get my head around whatever systems it might be um, hadn't necessarily helped that. And that actually I could start laying some of this baggage down and looking for. Uh, I, I I don't know. Looking for something more essential. Looking for the thing that I had always really valued yeah. um, in, in the heart of all these all these books and and yeah. boxes. Um, so see, there's a lot more. There's a lot more I could say about FKR, but I think if that's that more or less covers it. Um, so so my game Paleolithic Voyages is based on uh a 2d6 versus rule set by um uh by someone who um you know you can find on the fkr collective discord who's still very active and um literally everything comes down to a conversation uh pretty much in character with one central mechanic and i can only tell you that for me and my players that that has created vivid and really enjoyable sessions, full of peril, um, and 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 you know, fear of loss and celebration of success. Um, so, I tested it. I tested. I tested this to, to 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 breaking point. You know, this idea that you could just put everything down and pick up two D six and mm. and say, okay, what might this look like? Uh, what might result from this situation? And then we'll consult the the dice, the oracle of the dice, and then we'll come back and see what the dice have told us. Um, and it and it works. Um, not for everybody, Every, it's not everyone's cup of tea because some people want the, the the they want the levers and the buttons that are apparent in a rule set mm. but to engage in a in a free form conversation around a situation actually for me brings everything into stunning 3d technicolor and and then and then the you know the the speed of the water or what's on the ground or the weather or the or the darkness and the light or the size of your opponent or the sharpness of your weapon all of that suddenly becomes important because you're no longer looking for what gives you a plus two or a plus four you're not really quite sure as in perilous situations, I suppose none of us would be. right?
1: No, absolutely. I guess the tagline I've heard bandied around most is play the world, not the rules. Um, You know, uh, and is that a fair kind? I mean, I know that's stupidly oversimplifying things really, but is that a fair kind of tag?
0: Yeah, I think, I think, I think setting, not system or, or rulings, not rules. Um, is is at the absolute heart of it and the the invitation then is to really play with the situation Mm. so that i'm no longer interrogating page 41 with its combat modifier list i'm interrogating your world that you've just told me about to try and understand how i can best survive in it and then the answer so we often talk about role-playing being a process of questions and answers. Always encourage players to ask more questions. Always be honest in your answers. Um, but FKR games, at the, pl- the, the, the play absolutely relies on that. So we have to unfold the world to understand it. And good play is about unfolding that world together so that I maximize my chances of, well, perhaps survival or perhaps characterization or whatever the goal might be for the whatever the goal might be for the session because not everyone's characters are going to survive you know
1: yeah i mean again looking at i mean so to talk about paleolithic voyages is quite so i've read that so that's probably the first like proper fkr like game i've at least i'm aware of that i've like read i thought i'll sit and read it's about 15 minutes um, it's, well, it's 45 45 46 pages but i mean yes. you've got a lot of you've got a lot of little 1d6 tables and things and six yes. tables um the rules yeah the rules are two and a half sides it's a five anyway it's yeah. not like huge so but actually i found i mean the first thing i wanted to say and, and sort of compliment you on is how rich like that paleolithic setting um was you know i mean it's obviously a kind of a you know we're always looking through the, I mean, the lens of history on this is like, should we say, very, very, very hazy. Um, So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of things that you can, you know, a lot of liberties you can take. But I felt like, for me, it engaged really well. I thought like the brevity of it in a lot of ways was very suggestive, you know, Um, so that was really, really good. And then I was very surprised to find there was essentially like, there's sort of two mechanisms in, in the game. There's this sort of mechanism of moves where the player's, sort of say where they're going in the world and you're kind of moving to sort of, for one of a better idea, what seems to be like a kind of a zone that they're in within the kind of the world in a loose sense, well, yeah, whether they're in valleys or they're in mountains or they're, you know, um, I don't know, in the caves or whether they're on the marshes, you know what I mean? It's kind of pretty yes. broad. Um, and then the other one was this 2D6 opposed role, which seemed to have a sort of a negotiated um, kind of me- mechanism going on there where, you know, both sides are having a conversation about what the stakes of things are, and then ultimately it comes down to a role. So yeah, very, very simple. And you know, my ne- my initial reaction to that was like I was absolutely fascinated with the idea of creating a character and going and playing in the world, and absolutely horrified by how little um rules there were. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> um so it's quite it is quite like it's quite jarring, really. Um yes. you know, about so it's so starkly different to, you know, the regular kind of game, as I like to call it, you know, and yes. why that, you know, what I mean. But it's that what is really, I suppose, epitomised by Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons um, and a whole yeah, yes. over. You know, It's yes. it's so starkly different from that. Um, uh, you know, it, it's actually quite stunning.
0: Yes, I, yeah, I I agree. And like sometimes I sometimes I wonder. And that there are a lot of people on, let's say, um, most excellent Discord server, the FKR Collective Discord yeah. server, um, who may disagree with with this with this idea. But sometimes I wonder whether I could have come direct to a game like this without the background in in understanding the way games work. You know, mm-hmm. so so bizarrely, I think that coming to FKR play for me. Um, might have been more difficult had I not gone through Torchbearer and Burning Wheel because there's a lot of technology in those rules-heavy games that I've I've port, I've sort of stripped for altitude and imported into my FKR play. Yeah. Um. So that's so that's interesting.
1: That's an interesting comment, actually. This idea that because you are you know the free Krieg spiel thing with the Prussian war games, you know, you needed an experienced, you know, not someone who just yes. experienced in battlefield terms, but Somebody's also experienced with the game, right? And and the way in which the game works, and then is able to sort of transcend the rules. Really, I think that's what it. Maybe it's about. It's a yes, sort of like yes,
0: it's, it's so it's so it's if you've got if you've got an officer who's umpiring a game who knows what it's like to ford a river, mm. then then they don't. Then they 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 might have to have an idea of of how deep the river is, how fast the river is, but they probably forded several rivers possibly with a regiment of foot, you know, whatever. Oh. And so they're qualified to umpire a game on a board. Um and I think the crucial thing about FKR play is that when we start in a, it's, it's high trust, which is another phrase often mm. used in conjunction with FKR. When we start, we have to be clear of our expectations and be really open in our, in our, in our, um you know, communication with players between referee and players about what kind of world this is going to be. Mm. So, as you quite rightly say, this is an imagined Paleolithic, mm-hmm. um, right? Uh, it's it's one of many possible imagined Paleolithics. Um, but when we started, we had a really good. Um, when we start before before the game was written, you know, all I had was the mechanic and a couple of tables, and we had a and, and we and we decided that this would be an attempt to create a, a cinematic world. Right. So um, so that creation of a of a of a cinematic Paleolithic. Um, means that we're not worried about exactly how far someone might move in a certain increment of time. We're, we're, when, when it comes to conflict or resolution, we're, we're very um, free and, um, I, I guess, more like uh, lyrical in our descriptions of what's happening than we might be if our concern was to play. A much tighter kind of—I I don't know—let's say a, a skirmish game or a, or a war game. There are obviously FKR skirmish games and FKR war games that have been developed in recent times, but that's not at all my—that's not at all my field. Hmm. I've run battles in an FKR way inside other RPGs, but, but not, not in situations where players are concerned about exactly how far a man can advance over uneven ground while carrying a pack and a musket. Um, you know, that's, that's not what this is. It's, that's not what this, is. that's not what this is. But the, the, the resolution system gives rise in my experience of running lots of games of it. Now, the, the resolution system gives rise to actually very gritty outcomes. When, when you're with people who, who accept the genre, who accept the kind of world you're playing in, and we're all, um, you know, we're all discussing honestly what might happen. Then, you know, we're all experienced and clever enough to know what it means to, to be bitten by a cave bear or to be stabbed by a by a, a you know a a, a flint a flint tipped spear, let's say. Mm. Um, and, and actually that that is, I think, uh, contrary perhaps contrary to expectations of people who like their rules heavy systems, much closer to to some kind of verisimilitude than roll 2d6 and take it off your hit points oh yes and you'll recover and you'll recover that in two weeks of rest Mm -hmm. that that that's that's just no one expects that when you're playing a gritty realistic game in the paleolithic when you're when you're bitten you stay bitten you know (laughs) um, for for a good amount of time (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah
0: uh, I was kind of worried
1: about, uh, well, concerned about, I suppose, like where the um, players are in terms of relationship between them and their character. So my preference is always to be in character as character, to use um, Anthony Boyd, Runeslinger's phrase. Um, yeah. You know, th- like I want to inhabit the perception of my character as much as I can. If I'm a player, and the thing is I never get to be a player because no one GMs me because <laughs> um, I'm mad. And uh, no, I just want to. I want an experience <laughs> that a lot of people just don't seem to understand. But um, yes. But if I'm, you know, when I, when I looked at your rules, the thing that I kind of bounced off of was this sense of, oh, I'm going to kind of have to come out of character, and then I'm going to have to have this discussion with you, GM player, about like what might happen. So it becomes this kind of hovering over the scene, um, and then we have this negotiation thing. And I kind of felt like, I, I don't know if I want to do that. I, I just kind of want to make the decisions and then have like the, the consequence of that good or bad to kind of emerge you know um so yeah it, am I understanding that correctly because that's the thing I just wanted to check am I kind of getting that right?
0: Yeah I mean I, I think there there must be a certain change of perspective because you're imagining possible futures not you know the the, the obviously the vast majority of which won't actually occur mm. so you're 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 seeing, through your character's eyes or i'm seeing through the cave bear's eyes or whatever multiple outcomes that might not happen um and and we do just and we do discuss those um the extent to which people are then dragged out of character to discuss those possible futures i'm i'm not sure of Mm -hmm. um but i wouldn't like to make the claim that that is um Essential, essential to like an FKR experience. Yeah. It's it's it does happen in my FKR games, in part because I'm carrying a lot of imported tech from say Torchbearer or Burning Wheel, where outcomes and intent are discussed in the meta. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, when when you're not in the meta, intense identification with your character is is uh, is the norm. Yeah. So um, I, I you know I know what you're after with that intense identification and yeah. so am I yeah but I've got experience of using this technology where you where you kind of knowingly step into the meta to say well what might happen next mm. um, So yeah I, but, but lot but so for example, if we wanted to play a Paleolithic voyages type game yeah. or I've got another I've got another game using this which I developed around the dark ages called shield wall. Mm-hmm. Um, which has some different archetypes and, and technology, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, if we wanted to play it in a much starker, harder way, um, in terms of in terms of the way we use the the Oracle of the Dice, then we mm-hmm. could just go back to the way you know to, to the to, to the way it was done way way back when, in the early seventies. We both rolled two d six, and I tell you what mm-hmm. that means. Yeah. So. Um, I, I think that 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 might be even more terrifying than stepping into the meta um <laughs> but but I would still I think because of the kind of referee i I aim to be I would still say well you see there Shay you've rolled a three and I've rolled a seven that's not the biggest margin of victory for me so I'm going to say the result is like this mm. but under that under that kind of simplified more mm. brutal approach you wouldn't get a say. That would Mm -hmm. just be me. That would just be me handing it down by GM Fiat, and 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 that kind of Fiat approach is associated quite often with FKR play, and it's one of the reasons why players have to believe that the referee is genuinely disinterested in um, in the outcome. You know, so 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 I am I am refereeing my world in a consistent and perilous way. and you've got to trust me that I'm not that I'm not saying you've just had your head bitten off by the cave there because you know you didn't bring the my favorite flavor of crisps to the table or whatever um <laughs> yeah. are people that really that petty okay that's,
1: that's, that's <laughs> great that that's a great segue into high trust so because uh, I you know um s John Ross is the person who I associate with the phrase high trust and I'm still trying to discern exactly what flavor of Trad role-playing high trust trad role-playing that s john ross is like enjoying uh because he's very enigmatic um and, yeah, yeah. You know, but um and, I, and of course i've been involved in i had a conversation on Mastodon only a couple of weeks ago with s john ross and another person who from the fkr who i it completely eludes me in the name so i'm really sorry if you're listening to my episode it's not likely to be honest um but you know uh and this was a point where you know the version of high trust. Um, this particular uh, person was talking about using um, you know an Oracle like uh, the Mythic Emulator GM Emulator to sort of sort of spin up their setting and and you know as John Ross was like that's a betrayal of you know everything that I I wow. value. Um, so it's interesting how we can use these words. Um, and and of course they have different connotations for everybody. So let's just talk about high trust
0: for you means what? Well, uh, well I mean the first thing to say is I, I I can't pretend to have kept up with all the labels people use for different currents in role playing these days. Um, I, mean, I don't think anyone can really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are some fairly big brains on the FKR collective, right? Mm. So if, if people are interested, they can go there and they can consult the they can consult the big brains instead of listening to me. Um, <laughs> I. For, for for me, high trust is about um, you knowing that when you step into a situation that I'm refereeing or a scenario that I'm refereeing, I'm not going to shift the goalposts at any stage. Um, mm-hmm. If I, you know it's going to be as consistent as I can possibly make it, um, I'm going to also things like I'm going to pay attention to your needs as a human being mm-hmm. um, and as and as a player you know, as a smaller subset of being a human being. So, so. Um, uh, but also to my own, also I'm going to trust you to be uh, understanding of my needs as a human being, because mm-hmm. I'm also playing a game and, and, and here to enjoy myself. Um, but I think above all in the, in the narrow context of the game, if, if I have a situation to adjudicate, to make a ruling on, you must know that I'm making that based upon, uh, what I've described to you and what I understand of the world, and it will be the same this week as it was last week. And if the same thing happens next week, it'll be the same. You know, very unlikely that we'll come across three absolutely identical situations. But that I'm endeavouring to be consistent mm-hmm. and to build a world which functions in a believable way within within the context of that world. And that will be a that will be a context or a genre that we have discussed and we have a shared understanding of so if it's if it's a wild west game you kind of know what getting shot in the belly by a six gun is about in my world Mm. and if your character has been shot in the belly and it's a really bad he's had a really bad day or she's had a really bad day and then i treat another character completely differently same wound different outcome i'm i'm a betrayal is very it's very strong language right but Mm -hmm. i'm letting the side down in terms of in terms of in terms of high trust mm. um so so i i think that's what it means to me there's probably a lot more that could be said about it but that's how it informs my play mm. i suppose i suppose one associated thing is the very the very modern idea of um of balance it balanced encounters for example or balanced scenarios mm. um so so I choose not to take that into account, but I yeah. tell people, but I tell people that this world isn't balanced this world is a world mm-hmm. yeah. uh, it's not a, it's not a challenge rating to mm-hmm. match your character's power. and so um, you know as Yochai Gas uh, said, the guy who wrote Cairn, he said mm-hmm. let thinking be let thinking be their armor, which I think is like that's yeah. gonna make a great t-shirt one day um, <laughs> so. So that you know, you can trust me to 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 put obstacles in the way of your characters, to imperil your characters, and to make hard decisions around life and death where those decisions need to be taken in the game. Mm. Um, and I and I hope you can trust me not to ridiculously go out of my way to save your character uh, in in the way I guess we all have as GMs at some stage in our GMing career, um, if 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 the situation calls for, you know for
1: the harshest outcome hmm. uh, yeah i always reflect on like that with trust as well that there's a lot of a lot of that is placed at the feet of the gm but um i always feel like a, a strong element that isn't discussed very much is actually that the gm needs to better trust the players as well like to be consistent with their character and to treat the world consistently too uh, and to have expectations around the world that are consistent so i know that obviously the gm's got to present that world and help like them understand it but then i think like the thing i always find most frustrating is when players start expecting things or pushing for things that actually um they they breach the 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 flavor of the world or the the genre that you're in or you know so if you're playing a highly cinematic game i think there's a whole different set of expectations to know like if you're playing a a more grounded game um I, but i think as a player like often not enough attention paid to the the idea that you know you've actually you also got to honor that and be trustworthy with that um, but i don't you yes
0: making. yeah no i agree entirely with that and i think it's i think actually it's, it's it's really important to the way say 2d6 versus works as a resolution system because if you have the kind of weaseling that you sometimes get in systems which offer attack bonuses or mm. which offer bonuses to roles where oh no i really want this i really want this bonus you know can't you tell i'm i'm doing all of these things to try and angle for this bonus if you get that in a in a just a uh, in an fkr 2d6 versus situation then yeah absolutely right the conversation ends up could end up breaking the game mm. um so you have to be able to know that your players will as you say respect the respect the world as established um, and won't be trying for ridiculous advantages that that links into an to another to, to another element of the fkr from for most people who are fkr gamers i think which is um relative to the rest of the hobby i think a reluctance to roll the dice mm-hmm. i mean for some fkr gamers they, they don't even use dice right they just make judgment um but the the notion of and this goes back to the to the to the origins of D and D. Someone someone used a nice phrase in a game I was I was playing in um, last weekend, and they said, you know, in a, in original D and D, rolling the dice or combat were both and combat were both um, failed conditions. Right. So so if your thief is do if your thief player is describing what they are doing carefully. You know, consistently, conscientiously, whatever, and and they're doing it all right, then don't make them roll. Uh, you know, and and if if your players try to, there's always got to be a way around the battle. So if your players are describing a way not to, not for it to end in bloodshed, then don't make it end in bloodshed. And I and I think that is is related to the trust issue because sometimes you get game masters who have just decided that there's going to be a combat or well, they've just decided that they can't let a thing succeed without without referring to the dice as if that's the game mm-hmm. and and actually that's not the game the game is the thinking the game is the is the shared world the game is the is the yeah tactical strategic manipulation of the information that we're sharing at the table mm-hmm. and so that reluctance to roll the dice makes the dice rolls that do occur all the more important mm-hmm. um you, you know and so often when I play Paleolithic voyages a whole session passes and the dice might get picked up for a versus role maybe three times three or four times in a long session but mm. those roles really matter all the rest of the time when a character is is um, when a character is competent and the player is doing their job then there's no need to refer to the dice and and I, that's quite a that's quite a long way from, I think, the mainstream of, of tabletop RPGs these days where the dice are just, you know, give me a give me a perception check, um, mm. you know, all the time. And um, FKR, FKR games tend not to be like that. And certainly my games have become um, less and less like that. So the one of the last, one of the most recent um, White Hack dungeons I, I ran I, I never made the character playing a thief role to uh, pick locks. Mm-hmm. Um, they, When they were picking locks, they always had time. They weren't being attacked. There was no stress about, well, no stress at all. And so they always pick the locks. Um, and I think that that's characteristic of a lot of FKR players as well. Mm. It's interesting. And they kind of, you know, I've had the accusation may leveled that...
1: Um sort of taking the dice out of players' hands and making them like describe and inhabit entirely as a character that this is really all I'm doing now is is improv drama. Um <laughs> uh, and uh, I don't know, for me like that's like that that's not at all what's going on. But um yeah. I, I guess that if you are, you know, like a lot of there are some people I guess out there who who feel like a game has to have random things in it to be a game um and and i have some sense i have some sentiments in that i mean i like dice and you know and i like i like that i like chance you know like as a yes i like randomness i like the sense of um the unexpected big you know sort of as part of of the the possibilities i suppose so i guess that would always be something i would i would prefer um and I think, like that uncertainty, like it's, an in, it's the insertion of uncertainty into, uh, like into the dialogue and into the into the play. I i totally understand that, um, but I do feel like it's easy to overdo that. Um, and and I've felt, and I've I've had this very recently actually in a play experience, um, but I felt also hijacked by the mechanistic expectations of players um and almost like because a, a player might state a rule and you know that's the way it's going to be and you sort of feel like i've got a, i've got to abide by that because that's what well, this isn't a rule book uh, you know <laughs> it's, well, it's in a rule book mate and then, yeah and then, that's you know, an expert yeah you know and, and there's a whole bunch of and and yet i don't want that you know i'm sitting there thinking oh, i don't really want you know um but because you you, you know you dropped some kind of magic word into the description that allowed the player then to go ah I got to activate this rule, um, and and of course, if they know the rules better than you do, which is usually the case with me because I'm crap at learning game rules in detail, um, you know. Yeah, that that becomes sort of frustrating, actually. Um, and it, and it, and I also feel like there's a whole. I mean, this is not me rambling now, but there's a whole kind of subset of players who love the game of tricking the. So we're back to low trust, but the game of tricking the GM into, you know, like. Yeah. Yes. The manipulation of all of that stuff. Um, so I can see the appeal of like removing all of that. You know. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just to just to just to agree with you about the random, the random elements in mm. games. I love that. And as a referee, I love being surprised. So mm. I love being surprised by my own tables. And I love being we were talking, I think perhaps before you started recording, we were talking about um introducing numbers of different elements into worlds and i love the way sometimes that all just comes back and bites me and yeah. bites the world um and i love and i love consulting the dice and being surprised and then mm. all of us together coming up with a totally new direction um and that's the art i think um i i think the tendency of more and more rules heavy systems is to Remove that kind of um beautiful editorial role of 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 people kind mm-hmm. of referees from games, mm-hmm. um. So that actually, with a lot of modern rule sets, you don't really need a don't really need a game master so much as someone just to read out a scenario and and know which page the rules for mounted are on or whatever it might be yeah i get that. um yeah i, I get I, I i get horribly frustrated <laughs> i get horribly frustrated by um by that by a conversation that comes down to well that's not how i interpret the rules normally i've got to be in a, i've got to be in a burning wheel game and i've got to be playing with a super select group of burning wheel players and then it can be fun trying to work out what the rule is intended to do um but otherwise i'm just going to anymore really <laughs> great okay so
1: um how do we focus ourselves more on sort of in characterized character in worlds how we adjust the method i mean it it sounds like it might be as simple as just drop all the rules um but <laughs> but
0: now i mean you know genuine question there okay um, okay so I, what I like... are your thoughts yeah okay sorry I, I uh i like uh number three i particularly like number three character sheets um I, I I'm not a massive fan of um of attributes any longer with numbers. Mm-hmm. I noticed that uh, DM Scotty and Easy D6, which I've run a few games of recently, no attributes works mm-hmm. fine. Um so I, I like that. Um I like I like where you notice that a shout out to Kitty who who made this beautiful book really, this Paleolithic voyages, her character sheet, um took my simple character sheets and pretty much turned it into a story, mm-hmm. um, you know, which I really like. Um, I like, I like getting away in particular from um, numerical um, hit points. I, mm-hmm. I like it when, listen, you're bruised or you're cut or you're wounded or you're concussed. And mm-hmm. then people, then people have a sense of what it's like in the world for their character. Now, that technology, you know, I can't take credit for that. For me, that comes straight from Torchbearer. It's conditions. There are other games, lots of other systems that use conditions, but I much prefer conditions to like, oh, you've got four hit points left. Inevitably, people start talking about how many hit points they've got left. And then there's a cleric in the party who heals. And it's like, who's got who's got the most hit points left? Who's lost the most hit points? I, I, you know, the, for me, that is a hard kind of pass these days. I'm like, oh, wow. Have I been cut by a sword? Or have I got like a marker over my head that tells me how many hit <laughs> points I've got left? Um, so though, so I think those things help. Mm-hmm. Um, I have played around with diegetic experience as opposed to experience points. I quite mm-hmm. like games these days where you have advancement triggers rather than collecting XP's. Mm -hmm. um so it might be something that your archetype does that creates an opportunity to learn a new skill or improve an old Mm -hmm. skill um or to run a game like classic traveler with no experience system except when you're training which gives Mm -hmm. you a little bit of improvement here or there not not because i'm against characters improving but because i because I want players, including myself when I'm playing those games, to think in terms of improving in the world. And mm. particularly with, say, Classic Traveller when you're like, well, how do I improve in this stupid game? You know, I don't, I can't be bothered to be training the whole time to get an extra one on my gun combat. Well, what you need to do is improve your social standing, improve the mm. technology that's available to you, engage with the setting. And all mm. of those are brilliant FKR principles. Mm. Um, and also, I think choose the people choose the people you play with carefully so that they're mm-hmm. so that they're on the same page you know um as I, the, the older i get the more picky i get and the, the less likely i am to say oh i really enjoyed that game when actually there was something about it that didn't quite gel with me um you know so if i'm if i'm playing with a shout out to to to, to john uh, and to thomas who were the um the the play the first play testers for paleolithic voyages when I'm playing with them, we are so alike in our mm. third style, or at least we get on so well in our preferred style that things just work really nicely and character comes to the fore. Mm. Great.
1: My last question is the the classic role play rescue question, which is role play rescue is about getting people back to the table, you know, if they've been away and all of that. So, what tips have you got for that? What advice have you got for the guy or the, or the woman who is coming back? Uh, wants to get back into role playing, hovering on the edge wants to come
0: back. Uh, what would you say? Uh, well, there's loads of resources online to play now which, which they which there weren't in the past of course so you can normally find someone who's who's up for an online game if an online game will will itch that scratch. Um, if not I, I think that the overriding the overriding advice would be to be super um, picky. Mm -hmm. try a game out say you'll join for a week if it doesn't work for you try another game out if someone was there who you got on with and you think you might be able to game with them then try and set you know don't break that game for goodness sake but try and set up a try and set up another game um because it's that in the end it's that it's that it's that chemistry for me around the table or online that gives games longevity and energy and really takes role playing to role-playing games to to the heights that I think we we really want, where you can look back on a campaign or even a single session and just be blown away by what you've all created together. Um and who cares if people call it improv theatre or whatever. It's uh, you know, we know there's a game at the heart of it, but it can still it can still create these stunning, dramatic storylines without any one of us having Come up with it, you know, and that's the magic. That's where the magic is for me. But I, but I, there's, there's lots of fun. There's lots of other different kinds of fun than the fun I have. So my main bit of advice would be to find people who, who are after the fun that you're after mm. and then, cl- and then cleave to them as hard as you can and never move and try not yeah. to live in West Wales in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, thank you, Paul. That's great. I mean, you know, it sounds a lot like find, th- good people uh people like you you know and um i mean that's the heart of like culture isn't it people like us do things like this and it sounds like you know you've got a really clear idea about what people like you do with your gaming so that's great paul thanks so much for coming and sharing your thoughts with us and your wisdom with us i hope that um well you know i hope the games do well and, and not only that you continue to enjoy them but actually like other people come and find them because it, it's certainly fascinating um yeah so thanks so much for your time
0: Thank, thank you, mate. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to play together yeah. sometime soon. That'll be great.
1: Big thank you once again to Paul for coming and sharing his experiences. I'll stick links to his stuff in the show notes, along with links to other FKR resources, as promised. If you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you. Call in via speakpipe.com slash rescue and leave a message. Thanks once again to all the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash RPG Rescue. Thank you also to John from Tale of the Manticore for the Roleplay Rescue theme music. And most of all, thank you to you for showing up and listening. Just one more episode to go before I hang up my hat for season 12. My name's Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. I'll see you again next time. Game on.